Today, I'm going to talk about what it means to receive a blessing, and next week, we'll conclude the series by talking about the importance and power of prayer. For our purposes today, we're going to look at verses 23 to 27 and ask, what in the world does it mean to be blessed? Let me read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 to 27, and we'll pray together once more and ask for God to speak to our hearts this morning. Paul the Apostle writes, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is God's word. Let's pray together once more. Heavenly Father, thank you that every person in this room matters to you. Those men and women joining us online matter to you. We pray this morning that you would teach us what it means to be blessed. How it is that we can be blessed. And what it is about your blessing that leads to our total transformation. For those who feel discouraged, for those who feel burdened, weighed down, or in despair, cannot see how they can move forward, I pray that these truths would be brought to bear on every one of our hearts, that as a result we might be changed. And for anyone here who does not yet know you, we pray that today they would know all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And that even today, this morning, they would believe. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Blessed. It's a word which has risen to unprecedented popularity within our culture in recent years. You have only to take a quick look on social media and you will discover that Hundreds of millions of people feel blessed, at least the last time I checked Instagram. Most of the time, the word is used in such a way that it is bragging while sounding humble. Fourth pay rise this year, blessed. Free all expenses paid vacation, blessed. Free courtside Lakers tickets, blessed. Unless it is the case that you hate the Lakers, because they always win, and you do not feel blessed, and you did not get a pay raise, and you do not feel blessed, and you did not get the free all-expenses-paid vacation, and you are not feeling blessed. What does it mean? Christians use this word all the time. 
We pray that our meals will be blessed. We ask for our jobs to be blessed. We want our children's lives to be blessed. But what does it mean? Well, the word occurs in the Bible over 500 times. And it is used to describe everything from good weather, crops, and babies, all the way to protection, salvation, and even resurrection. In the Bible, people ask for blessings, receive blessings, and even share blessings. We also discover at certain times some events which do not seem to be blessings turn out to, in fact, become a blessing. But one of the overarching themes in Scripture is the connection between a blessing and change. And so we start with this thought. A blessing is not only about what you get, but who you become by receiving it. This might be quite different from the way that you think about a blessing. Maybe even for those of you who have been Christians for many years, you have a particular idea of what it means to be blessed. But we need to come to Scripture and understand it rightly. A blessing can also come in the form of words, a spoken blessing, spoken to or over people. It's come to be known as a benediction, which is simply the Latin phrase for a good word. That's simply what it means. So how is it that Paul pronounces a benediction here? What does it mean to be blessed? Why can blessings be so powerful? Well, I want to lead us this morning to three truths about blessings that you and I need to hear. They might be different from what you previously thought, and I would suggest that is a good thing. And the first truth is this, blessings begin with God. Whatever you think of, when you think of being blessed or receiving a blessing, the first thing that we notice from Paul's letter here and in the rest of the Bible as a whole is that blessing begins with God. Paul the Apostle is ending his heartfelt and very instructional letter to a church that he actually helped launch 2,000 years ago. He spoke to them in these words about their faith, about their hope, and about their love. He's instructed them as to how they should live in light of the state of the world and the fact that Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus, could return at any moment. But here at the end, when Paul sends them on their way and concludes his letter and signs off, he does not say, best of luck. He does not say, break a leg, you've got this, best wishes, have fun, it'll all work out, live long and prosper, or may the odds be ever in your favor, for those of you who are nerdy and like the Hunger Games. No, he begins with God. He says in verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Blessing, whatever it means, it begins with God. 
He is the source. And in this way, a blessing is not the same thing as success or a reward, which is how we typically view a blessing. Paul doesn't say that we earn blessings. We've lived good enough, correctly enough, rightly enough, and therefore we can earn his blessing. And this is very important that this comes at the end of all of his instruction because Paul is showing us that everything he's commanded in this letter, he's telling us here, he's hinting at how all of this can become possible in our lives. My paraphrase, Paul is essentially saying, guys, I've been urging you to grow in your faith and become an example. That's chapter one. I've encouraged you to endure hardship in opposition. That's chapter two. To not be unsettled by trials that you face. That's chapter three. To think carefully about how you live in the matter of sex and work and ethics and even to have hope in the face of death. That's chapter four and chapter five. But here at the close, he's making very clear that you were never intended to live out these truths in your own strength. You were never intended to live out these instructions according to your own ability. Here's why I think that is so important for you and for me. I think that more Christians are not defeated by spiritual attack. I think more Christians are actually defeated by self-reliance. Spiritual attack and life opposition is real. It will happen. Paul has spoken about that in this very letter and can at times be a source of discouragement. But in my experience, one of the main reasons, main causes for discouragement for men and women getting disheartened in the Christian life is not necessarily spiritual attack. The cause is more often than not self-reliance. People read the Bible and they hear God's instructions and they're like, man, how on earth am I going to do that? They assume that it's going to be about their power or their own ability. You read the commands of God and you're like, man, I got to do that. I got to do this. How on earth am I going to do that? And they get discouraged because they are looking at what is a supernatural work in terms of their own natural ability. How can you not feel burdened with that? I mean, if Christianity was based on human ability, we might as well end the service now and go home because it ain't going to happen. But Paul here wonderfully, beautifully is reminding us that blessing begins with God and is thus showing us how all of the things that he has instructed are going to come about in our lives. To put it another way, there is nothing that God wants for you that he does not also provide for you. Blessing begins with God. He is, notice, the God of peace. He is the God of total well-being. It's an echo of the famous Hebrew word shalom, which is much more than just the absence of conflict. 
Oftentimes when we think about the word peace, we're merely asking for absence of conflict. Like when you pray for peace in your home because your kids are trying to kill each other, which is a fair prayer request. I've prayed it many times in my life. God, I just want peace. Stop it. Stop killing each other. But it is so much more than that. This word for peace in the Bible is very rich. It means so much more than the absence of conflict. It stands for complete and total well-being, harmony, and even satisfaction. The commentators actually suggest that Paul uses this title for two reasons. Because A, God is the author of peace, but also, interestingly, B, He is also the only perfectly integrated personality that exists in the universe. He himself is peace. He is the only perfectly integrated personality in the universe, which is good news. Because listen, when you come to someone for help, you want to make sure that they themselves have experienced what they're offering. For example, If you go to a physical trainer, you might be a little disappointed. They're like, hi, I'm going to be your physical trainer. I've actually never done it. I've never done it. But I was thinking we could watch YouTube together because I found a few great videos together. You'd be like, wow, really? You would hope that the person you're going to, that the, the doctor that you're seeing about an illness has some awareness and also experiential knowledge of how you can be cured. Friends, this is good news. The peace that we need comes from who God is. The very thing that we long to experience in our very messy lives, we want to be integrated. We feel often disconnected. We feel despair in ourselves. We do feel the conflict. We do not experience that total well-being. Well, there is good news for you this morning because the God of the Bible is the God of peace. And he is able to bring it about in our lives. And Paul goes on to describe this work with a very interesting word in verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. What does this word mean for us? If you've been around the church, you've heard it many times. The word sanctify simply means to set something apart for a purpose. A dress, for example, is just a dress. But a wedding dress is sanctified. It's set apart for a very specific and special purpose. There are a lot of things in my house that I've learned over the years are actually sanctified. And one example, much to the chagrin of my wife, are her sewing scissors. Her golden fabric scissors. My wife likes to sew. She's got her sewing machine and all her stuff, all her gear, her kit. And within that kit are these golden scissors. Now, to me, they just look like scissors. And you know when you go to the store, you go to buy an electronic item, for example, and it is encouched in the most durable plastic I've ever seen on planet Earth. It's like eight layers of like melded plastic together. I'm like, how, I don't even know, do you set it on fire? How do you open this? I do not, I can't open it. And I look for scissors and I saw golden scissors, of course. 
What else can open and trespass across this plastic barrier other than my wife's golden scissors? And so on occasion, I have grabbed those forbidden golden scissors and I've used them and my wife's like, no, those are sanctified. You will ruin them when they are used for a wrong purpose. True story. But friends, in the same way, your life is meant to be set apart for God's design and purpose. When we go against that, we are misusing our lives. We are not living the way that we are intended or meant to live. The result will be damage to us and to what it is that we're impacting and influencing. And so it makes perfect sense that this God, this God of peace would sanctify you. Now, what exactly does that mean and look like for our lives? Well, that leads to the second point. The first thing you need to know about blessing is that it begins with God. It does not begin with yourself. But secondly, and very practically, blessing is about growth. Blessing is about growth. It's not the typical way that we think about blessing. But when we look at scripture, it is absolutely true. He says at the end of verse 23 that God would sanctify you. What does that mean? Look at the next verse. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to note that who God is is connected to what God wants for you. It's why it's important to see the connection between the God of peace, this is who he is, and now in light of that, this is what he wants to do and to bring about in your life. Namely, he wants to make you whole. He wants to make you holy. He wants to sanctify you that you might be blameless. I think this is key for all of us to understand because I think many people, when they hear the word sanctification or when they hear the word holiness, they think it's a bummer because some of us believe that happiness and holiness are enemies. We often think that growth and good are separated. Some of you are even getting excited like, oh, what does blessing mean? And then it comes up like it's about growth and you're like, oh, really? My growth? See, many modern people believe that if you want to be happy, you need to get rid of holiness. Like, don't, don't listen to the Bible. Are you kidding me? What a killjoy. Like, no. Like, don't, don't listen to God. That's not going to make you happy. But conversely, religious people are often like, hey, if you want to be holy, you better not be happy. Which reminds me of a quote this week. H.L. Mencken once quipped, Deeply serious-minded Christians are people who have a deep, foreboding fear that somebody, somewhere, might be having a good time. (laughs) Maybe that is the impression that you get when you think of other Christians. They're like, hi, are you, wait, I'm sorry, are you having fun? No. You cannot be, are you enjoying, no, stop it, you need to be holy. And you're like, oh my gosh, Yes. Sorry, I was smiling for a minute there. Wow, I was backsliding big time. But thank you, you brought me back on track. I'm sad and I'm depressed, and yes. 
This feels good. See, many people, there's this like bifurcation between happiness and holiness, but the Bible says that you actually cannot have one without the other. Holiness and happiness are connected. Your growth and what is good are actually linked. Sanctification and satisfaction go together. God wants you to be whole. You cannot be truly satisfied without being sanctified. That is without being made whole, being set apart for God's good purpose. As that happens in your life, you grow and you realize it is actually for your good and for your joy. As God works in your life and blesses you for the sake of your growth, it brings about true satisfaction. Why? Because you were made for this. I was made for this. Because the truth is, nothing can satisfy us truly apart from God. And nothing can satisfy us more than God. So why are we living in such a way that that's not true? And so the greatest gift that God could give to us is himself. And his desire for us in giving us himself and his life is that we would be experiencing wholeness. And so Paul says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. God cares about every part of our lives. Growth involves every part of us. Blessings can involve every part of our lives. Of course, soul and spirit refer to the interior life. Your reasoning, what you think. Your emotions, your ambition, your passion, your drive, your desire. God wants to grow you in those areas. He wants to bless you in those areas so that you might grow. And our bodies, of course, are the way in which we express what's going on in our interior lives. The way that we speak to people, the way that we treat people, the way that we live, our dealings with the people around us. God says, I want to bless you so that you might be whole in every part of your life and in every possible way. And it is a process. But notice that the end product is clear, that you might be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, that you would be without shame and without guilt when either you breathe your last or Jesus Christ returns. God blesses you. Why? So that you would grow. That's what blessings are about. He wants to make you whole. So let me give just a simple definition because we need to understand this word. A blessing is any favorable act that accomplishes his will and our growth. That's what a blessing is. And it begins to change the way that you think about blessings when you desire one or ask for one. That if I'm going to ask for a blessing, I'm simply asking for a favorable act of God. It could be in any area that accomplishes his will and my growth. Blessing begins with God. Blessing is about our growth. 
But I want to address a common question that arises at this point. When we think about growth, when we think about change, when we think about maturity, you might read this and think, wait a minute, if God's blessing brings about growth, why do I still have to listen to instruction? Why do I still have to apply things that I learned? Why do I still have to do stuff? If blessing from God brings about my growth, where is my responsibility in that? It's a great question. We need to notice that God actually has a strategy for growth. He has a way in which he brings about growth in our lives that involves his ability, but also our responsibility. He involves us in the growth process because primarily Christianity is about relationship. As it was famously said, without him, we cannot. But without us, he will not. That's how it works in the Christian life. Without him, we can't do it. But without us, he won't do it because he's chosen a partnership with us. He's called us to receive and hear his commands and live them out because it is about a relationship. And that's what makes sense of all the instruction in this letter and even the instruction that he gives. After he pronounces his blessing, he then even gives them three little mini instructions that show us how we can actually grow. He grows us through prayer. Paul mentions prayer in the closing of his letter. We're going to talk more about that next week. He grows us in community and relationship with one another. That's why he says in verse 26, greet one another with a holy kiss. He's emphasizing what he has through the whole letter, which is unity and community. Of course, in that culture, a kiss was usually reserved for a family member or a superior. That's how it was understood. But it's actually radical that Paul uses it here in light of that. Because he's saying, when you greet everyone, we're all on the same level playing field. He's saying, in the Christian church, there are no people who are superior to you. We are all like family. Therefore, greet one another in that way. He grows us through community. And he also grows us through teaching. That's why he commands there in verse 27 that this letter is to be read to the whole church. He commands it. He charges it. Which actually highlights... A few things. First, Paul's authority as an apostle, that his writings were inspired by God to govern the church. But he's also highlighting their need and our need to be taught. This is how we grow. God's word is to be read, heard, understood, preached, and applied. And we're to do this together. So part of God's blessing comes through our relationships as we learn together. He involves us in the growth process. So to ask God that he would bless you is primarily about accomplishing his will and growing in the process. And there are many things that he calls you to do that will be a part of that growth process. You might say, well, wait a minute. Like, doesn't that contradict some of what the Bible says about how God's going to do it and we don't do it. Well, let me use another example of how God involves us in our growth process, but still emphasizes his power. In this way, the Apostle Peter says the same thing in the New Testament. Look at what he says in his second letter. Chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, 
and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You say, wait a minute. Has the apostle Peter fallen into a salvation by works mentality? No, because he also says in that same paragraph, verse three and four, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. Notice I used the word work. Yes. But it is a work that flows from faith. Our growth process is based upon and fueled by God's blessing. His blessing does not replace my effort. His blessing empowers my effort. We work out what God works in. But even so, some of us hear that and we read the words like blameless, sanctification, growth, holiness, and it still just feels like a weight. You're like, man, how do I know if I will grow? How can I be confident that I will continue to mature and to grow and not fall by the wayside or just give up? And maybe even now, some of the instructions just feel like a heavy weight upon your shoulders, spiritually speaking. Where is it that I can find the confidence of his blessing? How can I know that he will continue to bless my growth? How can I know that he will continue to bless my life? Or if you're not yet a Christian, you're like, how do I even know that God will bless me at all? How can I know? Well, that's the third truth about blessing. Blessing begins with God. Blessing is about growth. But thirdly, you need to know this, friends. Blessing is based on grace. The blessings of God is all based. The reason that he blesses you, the reason that you can be confident that you will receive blessing in your life is all based on grace. How else can the Apostle Paul be so confident that these men and women, they were not super Christians, they were people just like us. How can he be so confident of them and all who trust in Jesus that will make it to the finish line? Well, he says it succinctly but powerfully in verse 24. And if you are of the highlighting type, I highly recommend verse 24. It's extremely highlightable. Because there he says, the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Does he involve me? Of course. We're in a relationship. But ultimately, how can I be sure that he'll empower me? How can I be sure that he will equip me? How can I be sure that he will bless me? He who called you is faithful. He will do it. That is why Paul can be so confident. He says, don't be confident that I said it, even though I'm an apostle, Paul might say. Be confident because God is able to do it. 
He is able to empower us. He is able to guide us. He is able to equip us. The point is that God is so committed to our growth that we can be confident of our growth. Paul has given them many commands and us, many instructions in this letter, but here he is reminding them of the power by which these can become real in your life. And so Paul ends the letter the very way that he began, with grace. Grace was not only his signature when he would conclude his letters. Grace was a summary of how he viewed God's work in his life and in ours. The reason for all the blessings in your life is nothing but grace. The undeserved favor of God on sinners. Because you see, sin is what separates us from God. Sin leaves us blessing hungry. Sin leaves us blessing starved because we're living apart from the source of blessing. And that means that if you're not yet a Christian, even the best things in life, apart from God, they will never save you. And they will never work for your ultimate good. The result of living apart from him is not blessing, but the opposite, which is cursing. And our sin deserves a curse, which simply means to be cut off from God, which makes it all the more powerful when Paul concludes the letter with these words, may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Because just like in verse 24, he's reminding us why we can be so confident about growth in life, the themes that he's written to us about in this book. Why should we not worry about the opposition and difficulties that we will face? Because Jesus will sustain you. Why should we not worry about facing death and living in such a fragile world? Because Jesus Christ is the resurrection. Why should you not worry about final judgment for those who believe in Jesus? Because Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. Why can we be so confident about our future? Because God is faithful and he will do it. See, here's the gospel, friends. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to die on a cross for you 2,000 years ago, he took your curse so that you could have his blessing. He took the curse that your sin deserves so that you could have the blessing that his life deserves. And that is why when we think of blessings, it's different than success or reward because God does not wait until we earn it. Listen, our growth does not earn God's grace. God's grace empowers our growth. And the difference is so significant. Many of you right now are living in such a way that if I work hard enough, then God will bless me. If I work hard enough, then God will give me the grace that I need in order to grow. That's not how it works. God gives you the grace so that you can grow. See, some of us, even though we've heard the gospel, we still live as religious people. You might think, if I grow, then I will be accepted. If I become blameless on my own, then God will accept me. 
But that's not the gospel. That's law. The gospel is, I am accepted because of Jesus Christ, therefore I can grow. In fact, here's something funny. The only way to disqualify yourself from a blessing is to try to qualify yourself for a blessing. It's not funny. It's hilarious. The only way to disqualify yourself from a blessing is to try to qualify yourself for a blessing. That's what the Pharisees, the religious leaders did. They said, God, look how good we are, therefore bless us. They disqualify themselves because they're living in pride and self-righteousness. But rather, we acknowledge and accept that we are sinners and apart from the grace of God, we have no claim to God's blessing. But because the work of Jesus Christ is so complete, so finished, so powerful, we are adopted, we are accepted, we are forgiven, we are loved forever, and we are blessed. It's based on grace. It's based on the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so when things go well in your life, grace reminds us why they are going well. And when things are going bad in your life, grace is what gives you the confidence that you will outlast it because he is faithful. He will do it. Some of you feel discouraged when you think about the future. You think about your relationships, your marriage, your friendships, your children. You need to underline like eight times that little phrase, he will do it. He will do it. And so we can come to God and we can ask for blessing. How do we respond? Well, first of all, if you have not yet done so, receive the status of blessed by believing in Jesus. If you're not yet a Christian, this is the most important decision you need to make. If you want to know that you are blessed, trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Say today, Jesus save me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. Save me. I want to know that I'm blessed, but I know that you earned the blessing. I can't earn the blessing. I'm only owed a curse, but you took the curse on the cross. Save me. That's where it starts. If that's you, receive the status of blessed by believing in Jesus. And for the church, cherish the blessings you already have. See, one of the reasons we often don't feel blessed is because we've forgotten all the ways in which we are already blessed. Read Ephesians, some church homework for you. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Chew on that for a couple of days. It will do wonders for your soul. Cherish the blessings you already have. Having received Jesus, we would do well to thank God for all the ways in which he's blessed us. Count your blessings one by one. Church, it would be so good for our souls, even this morning as we sing and respond to count our blessings and recall all the ways in which God has blessed us, how the Holy Spirit has worked in our lives, the provision that he's already given to us, the ways in which he's already equipped us. And third, humbly ask for God to bless you more. Having understood what blessing really means, it accomplishes God's will and our growth. You can ask for blessings today. Some of you think, wait, should I ask? Absolutely. It's only natural and right for children to ask their parents for good things. Since blessings are favorable acts of God to accomplish his will and for our growth, you can ask him to bless you even more. Ask him today to bless your marriage. Ask him today to bless your friendships 
to bless your community. Ask him today to bless your job, to bless your work, to bless your your resources and your finances, not selfishly, but for the purpose of God so that you might grow. And it's so comprehensive that even if you're suffering and in adversity, you can even ask that though in disguise, God will use it as a blessing. For he uses those things in spite of themselves, even as difficult as they might be, to bring about your growth and to accomplish his will. He is faithful. He will do it. Paul doesn't say he might do it. Wouldn't that be sad if we ended on that note? He is faithful. He might do it. You're like, "Uh, I don't know if I want to underline that. He is faithful. Maybe he'll do it. Or he is faithful, and if you're good enough, he'll do it. It's not what he says. He is faithful. He will do it. May that be a banner over your life today, wherever you are discouraged, wherever you are disheartened, wherever you are in need. Say, God, I'm trusting you in accordance with how you've defined blessing, and I am asking you to bless me. God is so committed to your growth and your ultimate blessing that he was willing to take the ultimate curse for you in Jesus Christ. That's why you can be confident. So if you've stumbled today, if you feel weak, if you feel fallen or discouraged, if you feel dry, rely upon his power today. Ask for help. Do not despair. Don't be afraid that he won't answer you. There's going to be no one on the last day who says, Lord, I asked for help, but you didn't give it. Lord, I asked for forgiveness, but you didn't forgive me. No one is ever going to say, Lord, I asked for mercy, but you didn't show it. That's not a thing. He is committed to your good. And as God and his glory and his blessing becomes bigger and bigger in your sight, you know what happens? Your troubles will become smaller and smaller in your perspective. So our response right now is worship. And that we would pray to ask for an even greater awareness of how blessed we are in Christ and humbly ask him for more. Paul wants us to know that God does not bless us because he's forced. He blesses us because he is good. And for any of us who doubt, you feel like you just want to give up or that he has given up on you, may you hear the words again in your own heart. He is faithful. He will do it. Ask him humbly and boldly today to bless you through Christ. Let's pray that even now. Father, we dare to ask only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ the truth and guidance of your word, we dare to ask that you would bless us. We confess that apart from you, we are unworthy of your blessing. We cannot earn it. We cannot achieve it. But we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are the God of peace and you have made peace through Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would bless us, God that you would grow us, that you would accomplish your will and equip us and provide for us everything that we need.
to reach that finish line without shame and without guilt. God, I pray that you would put courage in people's hearts today, that you'd make us aware of how blessed we are in Christ. And for anyone who does not yet know you, I pray that right now, wherever they are, even if they're at home watching this, I pray that they would just say from their heart, Jesus, save me. Save me, Jesus. I want to know I'm forgiven and accepted and blessed. Pray that those men and women would pray that even right now, honestly, from their own heart, and that they would experience your forgiveness and salvation. And now as we respond, Lord, we're asking that none of us would check out, but that we'd respond to what it is that your Holy Spirit wants to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I'm going to boldly call you to take communion today. If you are a Christian, if you believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ, maybe you've even just trusted in Jesus now, this can be the first act as a new Christian. I call you as our Lord Jesus commanded us to, to remember him, to remember what he's done. We need something tangible to remind us of how real and how finished his work is. I'm inviting you, calling you to come forward here to the front and to take the communion elements. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and said, drink. This is representative of my blood which is shed for you. Eat this, drink this as you remember me. Friends, I'm calling you to come forward and say, I'm blessed because of Jesus. You can even say that out loud today. Come and eat the bread and drink the cup. And as you confess your sin, confess your self-reliance, confess your unholiness, you can also celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ and know that you are blessed. You take the cup and say, I'm blessed because of Christ. You can say that today. I'm blessed because of Christ. Let's say it out loud right now. I am blessed because of Christ. Do that today as you celebrate communion. I invite you to express a biblical posture of adoration and surrender and appreciation of all the blessings that he has given to you in Christ. I invite you to stand. You can lift your hands. You can kneel. We have this space down at the carpets. I invite you to come down here, take communion. Oftentimes the physical posture of our bodies represents the spiritual posture of our hearts. Come and celebrate and worship. And I also invite you to pray. There are men and women up here to my right and a few will be up here in a moment. To my left, they're wearing the prayer lanyards. Maybe some of you didn't come here today planning to receive prayer. Maybe you feel a little bit of shame, like I don't want to be the one that goes up to get prayer. Look, we're all needy people, okay? We're all needy. We all need the grace of God. Maybe you just want to thank him together. But I would encourage you to ask for prayer for a blessing on your life. Ask God to bless your marriage. Ask God to bless your relationships. Ask God to bless your work. Ask God to bless your your resources. Why? So that his will would be accomplished and you would grow. In light of that, friends, I invite you to be bold and to pray big and bold prayers today. Push your way past the people in the rows and just come forward. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. So let's celebrate that. 
Let's pray into that. And let's ask God for more. Amen. Let's do that now.